Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete That keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions present From Colchester to Sulawesi Written for Colm Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 12, Family Outings. Very much to her annoyance, Hattie is too young to take her dive qualifications and join her brothers and Uncle Phil underwater. She must content herself with snorkelling with me and is totally unfazed by the marine life and the turtles which are nearly as big as her. Anyway, we have some lovely family boat trips to the local islands, Manado Tour Island being the furthest from the mainland, about an hour by boat. The people who live on the island having many family connections with our village. As with Bohowo, the people there migrated down from the northern islands many years ago. Mr Benjamin, our headman, was born there, as were Nyoman, his five brothers and one sister, who only moved to the mainland to attend school. Melda is a Bahowo village girl and is related in various highly complex ways to about three quarters of the people in the village. Yeoman married into the village and he's always pleased when we visit the island of his birth. Zeladen is the smallest of the islands and closest to us, and my personal favourite. But what they all have in common are beautiful, deserted, sandy beaches and coves where we pass many contented hours. We charter boats from Manado and Aris is always boat captain taking with him two or three of the village men to take second engine and sit a four to check for driftwood. We always come well provisioned for the beach with nazi kunung bunkus, yellow rice wrapped in a banana leaf, the rice having been cooked in turmeric, which grows in abundance here, and the boys make a fire over which they cook us all freshly caught fish. We swim and snorkel over the coral and take in the magnificent panoramic views of the mainland and other islands, and this absolutely spoils us for any other kind of beach where other people might dare to be and where there might be such things as cafes and roads with cars on. We have the ocean in front and the jungle behind and glorious tropical sunshine and that's enough. Because of the family connections, certain people in Bohowo have come to inherit and thus own land on Monado Tour. Mr. Benjamin owns the land behind a particularly idyllic cove around the back of the island, where the horizon is unbroken and the sea cuts up a bit rough sometimes during the rainy season, when the orcas come in close to the shore. He has offered to sell us the land, where we could build a small retreat for ourselves and perhaps for our future guests. We've got too much otherwise going on at the moment, but nothing is ruled out for the future, and we are tempted. Whilst the family are here, we also take the opportunity to revisit the Minahasa Highland areas, where we decided not to live, but which are nevertheless a good place to visit. 
Here, Mount Lokon, one of our active volcanoes, dominates the landscape and overlooks Lake Tondano, the huge crater lake over which there are bamboo restaurants selling fresh fish from the lake. The Minahasa people are quite distinct from the coastal settlers, both in looks and in culture, having much paler skin, and the women here are generally regarded as being the most beautiful in Indonesia. Christianity dominates, but as with the coastal people, the old ways and traditions still thrive, and on festival days the people of one particular tribe dress in flamboyant red costumes, festooned with the skulls of owls. The owl is sacred to these people, and apart from killing them for their skulls, live birds play an integral and indeed vital part of their festivities and rituals. As no festival or ritual can begin until an owl has hooted three times. It's three good hoots, and off we go. Not only are the people distinct from the coastal dwellers, but they must historically have been distinct from one another, and in the highlands there are no less than 11 quite distinct languages, in an area much smaller than the smallest English county. 11 different peoples, with no common word for a tree between them, which is linguistically quite extraordinary. All of them speak Bahasa, the common Indonesian language, so everyone can nowadays communicate. But as is the case with the coastal people, the old languages are still used for everyday communication. There is also a large sulphur lake here, and various geothermal areas where boiling water and mud vent to the surface from deep below the volcano, and a superbly ornate Chinese Buddhist temple complex, complete with an 11-story pagoda, impressive dragon imagery, and my own particular favourite, which is a temple constructed in the shape of a turtle. In any case, here we take the family for a long day trip, and a fine time is had by all.
Whilst Phil takes the boys and Janet diving, Mummy, Carol and I take Hattie into the downtown, ostensibly in search of anything which might be useful for the lodge, and to introduce them to the market. Hattie has fallen in love with the goats, and we have not the heart to tell her that they are soon to be somebody's supper. This isn't the glossy kind of shopping which they are used to, but they seem to enjoy themselves. What interests Hattie the most, however, are the Bendis, or traditional single horse-drawn two-wheeled carriages, which are designed to carry local people to their destination. Hattie loves horses and has her own horse at home, so we decide to treat her to a ride through the downtown, which she insists on taking on her own, being a young lady of somewhat independent spirit. In my best Indonesian, aided by Aris, who has driven us into town, I explained to the Bendi driver that the young, blonde-haired white girl wants to go for a ride. He asks where she wants to go, to which I reply that she doesn't want to go anywhere in particular, but wants to end up where she started. The driver seems somewhat bemused by this philosophy, but takes her anyway, arriving back some 15 minutes later. We pay him, Hattie has thoroughly enjoyed herself, and he will have something to tell his friends and fellow drivers about the strange English people and his first encounter with tourism, whereby people are prepared to pay for something with no apparent gain, other than to experience something which he spends all of his working day doing, when he would likely prefer to be doing something else. Domestically, all goes well at the lodge, all things considered. We eat passably good meals from plastic plates on our laps, sitting on brightly coloured plastic chairs borrowed from the village in the absence of any dining room furniture. The downside is that the adults amongst us weigh more than the average Indonesian, for whom the chairs were manufactured, and the chair legs have a habit of splaying out under our weight in a most disconcerting fashion. Janet and Mummy take charge of the washing up, which they manage to do in the small and again strangely placed sink by the front doors. Janet, in particular, adapts well to the unusual circumstances, particularly in view of the fact that most of her meals are eaten off the best china in the peers' dining room in the House of Lords. And she seems not to mind the downgrading of her culinary circumstance in the interest of spending time with us. Janet has on numerous occasions been our passport into the Palace of Westminster, Buckingham Palace and numerous other high-flung venues and insists that she minds not at all that this is how we repay her. Testament indeed to our friendship and to her good and worthy spirit. We'll be leaving with the family in a couple of days at the end of a wonderful trip, which I have to say went so much better than I could have hoped for. Mummy loved the village and says it is just like going back in time when everyone could leave their doors open with no fear of getting robbed. She has received so much attention everywhere we go and has had endless invites to people's houses for tea and cakes. Obviously, a white-haired elderly English lady has never before been seen in the village and she clearly so much enjoys the attention and novelty that this brings. The village now refer to her as Mummy, as this is what Carol and I call her. So we leave, and we leave with some problems. 
There is still as yet no resolution as to how we are to bring vehicles into the lodge, or what we are to do about Oni. We haven't heard again from the machete-wielding family, but they have marked their boundary clearly enough. It's rumoured in the village that they now want us to buy their land, which actually has the same problem as do we, as there is nowhere now to access their land from any direction, so their landlocked plot is effectively useless to them. We assume that all of the boundary business has been about trying to force us to buy the land, which is for sale at a grossly inflated price, and that we are not prepared to do. Actually, buying the land is not such a bad idea, but not under these circumstances or at this price, so we must find another way into the lodge, and at the moment we are quite unable to think of a solution to this seemingly intractable problem. the land what further adventures are in store for Phil and Paula as they travel from Colchester to Sulawesi in the next episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Colne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. 